Dismantling Ableism, One Step at a Time. We'll start out with a story about two students. This is a tale of two students with IEPs. Carla shared her experience and others chimed in and were moved to tell similar stories. Looking back over the years in school, she never felt different or singled out because of her visual impairments. Carla's blindness did not stop her from anything in school, and her teachers were always incredibly supportive. In fact, several of her teachers inspired her to attend college for a career in teaching special education. They celebrated when she graduated and always sought to bring the best out in her. In fact, looking back, she always had her accommodations without questioning. And when she did not feel much like working, nobody questioned her motives. Now her friend Samantha did not have the same experience. Samantha, a nice helpful child, was placed into a resource room early because of a diagnosed learning disability, having ADHD and suspected anxiety disorders. Sammy and Carla became fast friends at the age of eight. They sat alongside of each other in the resource room. Carla and Sammy were inseparable. They went everywhere together. They studied together, they played together. But that would soon change near the end of their high school career. While Carla went on to do well and have a successful high school career, Sammy struggled in school. Having a learning disability, ADHD, and suspected anxiety disorder were only part of the issue. Sammy became chatty and overly social as she tried to fit in during the high school years. Teachers viewed her as unmotivated and somewhat disorganized. Her grades had slipped and they insisted on referring her for more services. In 11th grade, the notion of placing Sammy in an integrated co-teaching class was dismissed because teachers wrote in their reports how she was disorganized, unmotivated, and had poor writing and math skills. She soon was referred to self-contained classes. As Sammy's parents were not familiar with the system, they signed for an IEP that would further drive Sammy away from academic success instead of toward it. Sammy's teachers also spoke about her as a student who did not live up to her potential, even in the self-contained classes. As a young adult, she found a little something better for herself as she secured a low-level position as a manager in a local grocery store chain. Having low grades and little ambition for school, Samantha went on to work and move in with her boyfriend, while Carla went on to college to study early childhood special education. What is the difference in how both youngsters with a disability were treated and how were these subtleties manifested? This case reminds me of ableism and that it is alive and well. What is ableism? 
Ableism is a term that means power over and ill treatment of individuals with disabilities or even those having a perceived disability. Ableism can be manifested itself in an overt way, such as aggression or bullying or exclusionary way, or in subtle forms of microaggression. Microaggressions are subconscious manifestations of treating an individual poorly, such as talking about the individual as if they are not there, or referring to the individual with conscious use or unconscious use of deficit language. The term microaggression usually refers to stereotyping or prejudice against individuals that manifests itself in power over, exclusion, use of deficit language, or subtle implications that one is less than because of their differences. And it's usually used in terms of race, color, class, creed, religious belief, sexual preference, or ability. Ableism can show up in the form of overt aggression, as we mentioned before, such as bullying or harassment. It can also show up in subtle ways. While the example provided contrasts how two different students with unique personalities, abilities, and strengths reacted to the same general feeling tone in a school, how they were treated very greatly in the school's setting. What can be done to build an awareness, appropriate language, and overall attention to the obvious exclusions, bullying, purposeful, and intentional comments, or misperceptions? What can be done to build an awareness to those microaggressions or subconscious treatment of students with disabilities or persons with disabilities? Carla became all too aware of ableism. And when we think about it, why is it that some disabilities are more apt to stir up ableism or stronger reactions in others? When we think about it, are students with hidden disabilities treated differently than students with visual impairments or students in a wheelchair? Can ableism present in covert ways as well? How can ableism be addressed? How can it be addressed in school? I'm thinking that starting at a young age, students should learn about different disabilities. They should learn more about each disability than maybe we were taught. They need to be taught how to speak about disabilities and how to use proper language when referring to a peer or an adult with a disability. Now let's go back to those microaggressions. How can those microaggressions be completely eliminated? How can teachers, providers, and counselors language their classroom? How can they promote classroom culture to create a culture of acceptance, respect, and love? How can teachers bring out the hidden potential in all students, regardless of whether they are with or without a disability, their age, their race, their gender preference. Finally, how can teachers create an awareness of how to speak to students with disabilities and how to use asset-based language inside and outside of the classroom? 
The topic of ableism is one that can be brought to light in faculty meetings and professional development meetings. This can bring about new awareness and open up new conversations and ideas for disrupting those practices of ableism in schools and in other organizations. Recently, I attended a faculty-led initiative run by a committee at the university where I teach. Some issues were really brought to light. The presenter, an author, research on disabilities, researcher on disabilities, race and equity, engaged the audience as he led an interactive discussion and activities on the topic of ableism. The room was packed full of professors, administrators, classroom teachers, community members, and graduate students. The presenter led group activities that had us laughing, crying, and engaging in passionate, open-ended discussions on disability, how we language disabilities, and how disabilities are perceived. When the presenter presented the basic definition of ableism, it was as if we were hearing it for the first time. We were afforded the opportunity to delve deeply into this topic. We were able to bring up thoughts and ideas in a lucid, open manner that broke down barriers. We no longer thought of just being politically correct or using appropriate language just for the sake of it, but could visualize how it must feel to be on the other side of this. What ableism is and how we are afforded the privilege and the power having the luxury of being treated equally when we walk into a room. Many of us in the field of special education don't take the time to sit back and reflect on what it feels like not to have a disability. Ironically, we talk about it all of the time, but we need to feel it really deeply. The presenter invited us to open up our consciousness, have conversations about this, and feel a sense of discomfort at first. It was soon replaced by a feeling of greater awareness and having an understanding of how this must play out across the school learning community in an inclusive setting or in a general ed classroom or even a self-contained class. It's not just school communities that need to explore these topics, but outside organizations that serve children and adults with disabilities, nonprofit organizations and for-profit organizations alike. When ableism is underscored by thoughts, deeds, and actions, it is able to exist. To undo ableism, there needs to be awareness, reflection, and education in a formalized context, such as a professional development meeting or in an in-service meeting, and later on have a consensus on how to formulate an action plan for change. Here are some thoughts that I have about being an educator and coming up with an action-oriented plan within the classroom. How can we alert our fellow colleagues so that they examine our own bias? How can we examine our own biases? How can we alert our colleagues and ourselves as to the microaggressions that might be directed toward all persons with disabilities? 
or some persons with disabilities. How can this dialogue be included in parts of our curriculum as early as kindergarten age and all the way up to 12th grade and beyond? How can teachers deeply examine their own hidden biases and their own misperceptions about persons with disabilities? As a clinical professor in an urban school setting, I constantly need to become more involved in these type of meetings and conversations to explore more about ableism and how to treat students with disabilities and adults with disabilities. Having these deep conversations about race, ability, class, and gender really, really help to open up conversations between colleagues to make our schools a better place. Thank you very much. My name is Liz, and this is Cultivating Classroom Management.